0: Log TALK RADIO You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2015, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Slavendar and Anastasia. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and we're gathering the ninth Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas starting May 15th through the 21st. This is a reunion of a particular soul family, which we call the Crystal Soul Family, and it's identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natal or progressed, either 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, magic happens. If you feel the call of the crystals and aren't sure if you have the markings, I'll be glad to take a quick look at your charts and let you know. Just send me your complete birth info with the date, the exact time, place of birth, and your current location, and send it to crystals at StarSeedHotline.com. We've got a great show for you tonight with our special guest, known as the skeptical psychic, Nancy Dutertra, with a long list of accomplishments from starting as an attorney, then becoming a certified psychic assisting law enforcement. She's a medical intuitive. She's done remote viewing for the military, a paranormal investigator, and host of her own radio show on CBS Nancy is also an author, and tonight she'll be talking about two of her books, How to Talk to an Alien and Psychic Intuition. She lectures across the country on extraterrestrial contact, psychic mediumship, remote viewing, and all things paranormal. Her website is theskepticalpsychic.com and talkalien.com. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Tammy and Vanya for hosting the Switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we always like to thank Tammy for her special dedication to the forum. And you can download our show podcast on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk radio episode page using the cloud icon with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. It only happens once a year. Find out when that timing is by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of your solar return chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure that you get it in before your 10 hours. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia, and I'll need to get your mic open here, so just a second.
1: Okay. Hey, Anastasia. Hello, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you again. Well, we need to start by talking about the sun, and nothing's happening up there, you guys. None of the present sunspots has the type of unstable magnetic field that poses a threat for solar flares. Solar activity at this time does remain low. We have found tens of thousands of dead fish on a beach near Jakarta, Indonesia, And following the finding of these thousands of fish, environmental campaign group Greenpeace has uh, stated that they think the cause of this mass death is related to the accumulation of water from contaminated rivers on the northern coast due to rain. They think the runoff brought pollutions and, uh, that killed these fish. However, we might want to consider that the day before this region of the planet was hit by two earthquakes, and we would might wonder if that was the result of seabed outgassing. We just don't know. There was a 5.6 magnitude earthquake that hit Jakarta, Indonesia, uh, just a few days ago. So, don't know. Hmm. And there's been a 4.7-magnitude earthquake among seven recorded in one day in Oklahoma, and they've decided that this is becoming one of the most earthquake-prone areas in the world. This happened yesterday. One was felt as far away as Iowa, which was prompting concern from the residents of Oklahoma that the state isn't doing enough to curb the earthquakes that scientists have linked to oil and gas activity. Now, As I have said, Oklahoma has become one of the most earthquake-prone areas in the world with the number of quakes of magnitude 3.0 or higher skyrocketing from a few dozen in 2012 to more than 720 so far this year. Now, many of the earthquakes occur in swarms in areas where injection wells pump salty wastewater deep into the earth and also incidentally the USGS has shown that 40% of all major earthquakes located in the four, lower 48 states have occurred in Oklahoma this year now in Cushing Oklahoma and there it is the, the city is the home to the largest commercial crude oil storage uh, in North America and they say that it has dozens of tanks that hold an estimated 54 million barrels of oil now, according to what I read, these tanks were built to national standards that will allow for some shaking, but they have not or cannot verify that they've been constructed with serious earthquakes in mind, and that is causing concern to the residents and policymakers in Oklahoma and in Washington. And in Chile, a magnitude 6.2 earthquake struck off the Chile coast just this morning, according to the USGS, and there were no reports of damage. As we move to South Dakota in Sioux Falls, the National Weather Service reported that eight inches of snow had fallen at the Sioux Falls airport um, by the evening. It beat the old record of 7.4 inches that was set way back in 1954. They say that this is a record snowfall for the second time in this month. Wow. Yeah. Now, uh Occasionally I will turn on the television, not very often, but just the other day I noticed uh, an advertisement for Tamiflu. And um, they encourage people in this advertisement because they want to sell uh, a vaccine to take Tamiflu. But then, of course, it was all these uh, types of advertisements. You hear the side effects at the end, and I thought it was odd when I was listening to this. They're all odd. They're bizarre. But this one said that... uh, You were to report to your doctor if after taking Tamiflu you noticed any strange uh, behaviors, any alteration in your normal behavior. Well, this this drug, excuse me, this article today comes out of Natural Health. And it says that right now at this time of the year, Tamiflu is very popular to treat the symptoms of influenza A and B. And it has been recommended, as this ad that I've been referring to uh, appealed to people, uh, for folks to take Tamiflu to prevent the flu after being exposed to it. Well, incidentally, I do believe that it only uh, cuts your flu symptoms by 24 hours or so. I think that's about right. Well, anyway, the CDC and the Infectious Diseases Society of America and a lot of other uh, mainstream institutions recommend that people take Tamiflu uh, if within 48 hours of getting flu symptoms and they go on and cite its efficacy and praise for it and all of this stuff. Well, New studies are proving that Tamiflu not only is not effective or is safe as presented by these large government bodies such as the CDC and others, in fact the evidence by these studies is showing just exactly the opposite and they say that Tamiflu itself Uh, has millions of reported side effects that include long-term neuropsychiatric adverse reactions, which would explain why the ad indicates that you should contact your doctor if you have any strange aberrations in behavior. Now, they are finding that this is occurring uh, especially in young boys ages 10 to 19 years old. So thinking about taking Tamiflu, maybe you might want to think again. Wow. And uh, in the agricultural market, uh, this comes from the Alliance for Natural Health USA, wonderful website. I encourage all of you to check that out and support that. They're doing a wonderful thing for all of us. But anyway, Monsanto has recently, recently reached a deal, a deal with John Deere and Company that could dramatically alter the U.S. agricultural market and not for the better. Now, John Deere is the world's largest producer of agricultural machinery, and in cooperation with Monsanto Software, it will begin to send continuous information back to Monsanto via via the farm machinery that John Deere sells to farmers. And by doing this, Monsanto will know which farmers have planted which crops and where, The problem with this is that access to this information that's going to be embedded in farming equipment all across the country will give Monsanto unprecedented insight into the market yields of any harvest before anyone else. And this information could allow Monsanto to manipulate and uh, dominate the commodities market. So just another way to make money. And I'm sure there are plenty of other downsides to having them gain this information before everybody else. But anyway... Well, in Luxor, Egypt, this is pretty cool and interesting. There are just lots of these stories that we don't have time to cover in, an, in a night newscast. But the sarcophagus of Kusu. a high priest Good of job. ancient, I'm trying, I'm trying,
0: <laughs>
1: a high priest of ancient Egyptian god Amun Ra, has been unearthed in the west bank of Luxor. Now, this sarcophagus dates back to the 22nd dynasty, which is about 943 B.C., and it was found in the tomb of Amenhotep Pai, who served during the reign of Pharaoh Amenhotep III. They say that this sarcophagus is made of wood and covered with a layer of plaster. It also contains a number of hieroglyphic inscriptions with scenes of the deceased making offerings to several ancient Egyptian gods. So there's always new stuff coming out of Egypt. It ain't done yet, people. Lots of yeah. stuff. And in New Madrid, Missouri, uh near Marston and Lilbourne, Missouri, there have been two uh excuse me, 12 small earthquakes in 2 hours. Residents in southeast Missouri felt the ground shake when two earth, 12 earthquakes rattled uh within hours of each other just last Wednesday. This is a little bit old, but it's happened since our last week's uh, broadcast, they say that uh people who heard it reported that it made a sound like a clash of thunder and shaking. Now, Missouri has a history of shaky territory. You all probably know about the violent series of earth earthquakes uh that has ever been recorded in the United States occurred along the New Madrid fault uh between eighteen eleven and eighteen twelve and uh people that live in that region are always concerned and kind of keeping an ear to the ground. So there's a little bit of activity going on there 12 small earthquakes in 2 hours is is enough to get attention. Yeah. And in Glacier uh, Glacier Peak in Washington they also have had four earthquakes in under 4 hours. Now I'm I'm just seeing a lot of this as I scour the news. Rapid amounts of earthquakes in succession within a short period of time this seems to be the norm anymore. This used to be very rare and now it's happening a lot. And uh, near Glacier Park uh, Peak, excuse me, in Washington, they did have that happen. Uh, the first two and the largest quakes registered 3.1 and 3.5. Now, um, the uh, Glacier Peak area hasn't been active uh, for many thousands of years, but nevertheless, something is stirring under the earth there at this time. And in Peru and the Peru-Brazil border, four earthquakes occurred last week, late last week, magnitude 6.5, 5.1, 4.6, and 5. But what makes this significant is that these quakes are coming two days after two 7.6-magnitude earthquakes that hit in the same region of the Peruvian border. So lots of activity um there is a growing concern over trees that could cure many diseases, and these trees house an incredible amount of wildlife on the planet um, that these trees could become extinct in our lifetime and In fact, this fact uh this probability has been highlighted in a new study which was published by the journal Science Advances that reveals that between thirty six and fifty seven percent of Amazonian trees. They say that's as many as almost 9,000 species, are likely to be threatened with extinction. Now, a team was made up of 158 researchers from 21 countries who carried out this study. But interestingly enough, out of all of that, stating that almost 9,000 trees are threatened, they claimed that the Amazonian parks, reserves, and indigenous territories can protect most of the threatened species if they are properly managed. Well, I thought about that, and it seemed like double talk to me, because we have to ask, what does that mean? Does that mean, then, it's okay to devastate the Amazon? Sometimes findings from these studies reveal brutal truth, but then, you know, the uh, so-called cover-up the fact that the growth economies that have devastated the planet um, rather smooth that over and sweeten that up so that they don't step on corporate toes in the pursuit of money. So... Anyway, the Amazon is in trouble. Whether we um, want to try to save a few trees through some parks and reserves, that's a wonderful idea, but we might just think about leaving the Amazon alone. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Many people across central Kentucky heard or felt what was they thought was an explosion on Thanksgiving evening around 9 o'clock in the evening. And uh, some people are believing that this is uh, probably a meteor or a number of meteors that broke the speed of sound and created a sonic boom, because many people that witnessed this saw what looked like a shooting star or a streak of light in the sky, which probably backs up the meteor as a likely source of that sound. And in Norway, fishermen have noticed a strange-looking purple slime. Now, at first, there were large clots of this slimy stuff in their fjords. Uh, Now it is collected in a belt that is 219 yards wide, and nobody knows what it is. It's freaking them out. They say that there's various descriptions of this mass purple slime, from clotted and mucoid to gelatinous and gooey. (laughs) That sounds pretty awful. (laughs) But uh, the local newspapers in Norway reported that they do not know Absolutely what this is. Purple slime. Nobody knows what it is. Well, in China, in China, the Chinese scientist that led the development of the world's first cloning factory says he is now ready to replicate human beings. His only worry about this is that society won't accept it. Now, the giant cloning facility is set to open within the next seven months and plans to be cloning one million cows by the year 2020. Other animals to be cloned include racehorses and police dogs. And uh, so they say that they're going to do humans um, in conjunction with their animal cloning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, has everybody been shopping for Christmas yet? I've got, I've got something for you. I'm Santa's helper. I found <laughs> out that there is a ghost town for sale in South Dakota. Yes, sir. Just in time for holiday shopping, an entire South Dakota ghost town, complete with its own watering hole, is on sale for $250,000. This is a six-acre town of Sweat. Sweat or Svet? I don't know. It's kind of Norwegian, but it's spelled S-W-E-T-T. You can check that out on the Internet. Sweat. south dakota this little town includes a tavern a three-bedroom house a former tire shop and it's about a hundred miles south of rapid city <laughs> so um, the realtor that listed this uh, town for sale has said or reported that buyers have expressed interest from everywhere um, but they have, weren't able to sell it, so they lowered the price from 399000 to 250000 And apparently there's a Russian movie production company that was wanted to film there. Now, this little town peaked at 40 residents in the 1940s, when at that time it had a post office and a grocery store. So it's a little tiny town, but it's for sale. So it might make a nice Christmas present for somebody you know. <laughs> And uh, also in China, you know, there's just lots of uh, disturbing things that are happening on that part of the globe. But China has now ordered thousands of factories to shut down as it grapples with (laughs) clouds and clouds of choking smog that are nearly 24 times the safe levels. Now, they did this today, and they say that that's now casting a shadow over the country's participation in the Paris climate talks. Well, no wonder um over Be- over beijing there is a gray haze that is full of microscopic particles that amount to 598 micrograms per cubic meter now they got this reading from the us embassy but what, what's really awful about this is that this 598 micrograms dwarfs the maximum recommended by the World Health Organization, which says that nobody should breathe over 25 micrograms per cubic meter. So there we are, 24 times the safe levels. Now, as a consequence of this pollution, and it is intolerable, authorities in Beijing ordered the closure of 2,100 highly polluting businesses and advise citizens to stay indoors. Airlines have canceled over 30 flights from Beijing and Shanghai. Now, China is estimated to have released between 9 and 10 billion tons of carbon dioxide in 2013, nearly twice as much as the United States and around two and a half times the European Union. And social media users in China uh, were sort of making fun at the promise of a clean-up, Uh, many people uh, apparently posted a picture of a Beijing newspaper front page from the year 1999. And in this newspaper uh, front page, it uh, quoted officials of the Chinese government as stating, we absolutely will not let big pollution enter the new century. So looking back 16 years later, people aren't able to go outside of their homes because they cannot Hardly breathe the air. This has been going on for quite a while, but it's repeating and repeating. It seems to be a really terribly serious situation over there, which might want to make American consumers begin to ask the question yet again, should we be so consumerist? No, probably not. <laughs> As all of our starseed eat, no. But, uh, you know, the only solution to problems like this is a change in the way we're living. Isn't that mm-hmm. right, Ariel? change the way we're living and help each other and all the critters and beings on the planet and help ourselves. Well, that's it for tonight's uh, news. We're going to have a wonderful show tonight, Ariel.
0: I know it. I know it. We're looking forward to it. So I want to thank you, Anastasia, for bringing us the Starseed News.
1: You are so welcome. I, I love doing this. I'll turn it over to you.
0: And you do a really good job, so thank you so much. Uh-huh. And... Now um, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Lavendar, and I'm going to bring our guest uh, online here in just a second. Lavendar, are you there?
2: Lavendar. Oh, okay. I'm here. Okay. Making sure
0: I wasn't sure if your if your mute button was working. So, yeah, uh, it's working. Bring... Okay. Hello, Nancy. Welcome to the show. And Thank you very much. You are quite welcome. Is your last name pronounced? Did I do it correctly? Duettertra,
3: that was perfect. Oh, everybody I mean, pronounces it differently, so it doesn't really matter. And I tell them if they get really confused, just think of two turtles. Two turtles. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Tertra. That's
0: obviously a French name. Yeah. Um So, Lavendar, I'm going to let you kick it off and take it away.
2: Well, hello, Nancy, and I. And your book is absolutely fascinating. Uh, when it was sent to me, I. I I could hardly put it down. I had to take a trip in between, but I've come back to it, and I I really love this book, How to Talk to an Alien. What What made you decide to, to write this book?
3: You know, and first of all, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, I You know, I, I got asked that question uh, at some point, you know, after I had written it, and uh, I wasn't able to answer the question, <laughs> so... I don't know why I wrote it
2: honestly. i think it's I think it's on time. I think it's just it's a timely subject that I think everybody would be interested in because we have so much information that's happening now on the on the on the world wide web and with technology the way it is I mean we have a lot of information about alien contact that we didn't have twenty years ago, so I well, think you're, we, do. we very do very
3: absolutely tiny. and so i you know I,
2: about I, um Anything that you want to kick it off with about how you um, have been able to uh, talk to aliens or have people that you know that talk to aliens? Just give us some kind of little story about some of your experiences. Well, I
3: I do think that it is strangely very timely. Um, When I wrote it, I was sort of shocked that nobody had thought about doing it And the way that I have compared this is, you know, we've had the, um, in ufology, we've had the field of exopolitics around for, you know, at least a few decades now. So people are thinking and talking about um, how we ought to be dealing on some global or at least national political level with... um, Visitors, or I, as I call them, aliens, and I hope I'm not offending you or your listeners. I just use that because it's easy and it's a shorthand for me. It's sort of alien, whatever it is. It's it's not human, so it's alien to human.
2: Um, uh, well, we use it, too. That's fine.
3: Okay. And uh, the, the comparison that I've made is, you know, if you look at all of the, the craziness that's going on in Washington right now, you have politics with no communication so how do you think you're going to have exopolitics without exolinguistics or you know which is communication can't um I, I, from from the research that I've done the people I know and all that kind of thing it seems to me that most of the communication is being done to us as humans and it's not very often that we get a chance to communicate back or that we think of it or that we think that we know how to do it so i i think it's really important because otherwise you're kind of stuck with this um you know you, you you've got a monologue going on and there are a lot of things that i think that we need to know and we ought to know we ought to know how to ask the questions properly so that's why I think language is important, and that's why I've sort of structured this field that uh, I'm calling exolinguistics.
2: Well, I think that's <clears throat> that's the right term for it. I really like I like that when I read it. I said, oh, yeah, that's the right term for that. Has there been any, any official attempts to, to communicate with extraterrestrials?
3: Uh, well, I, I should ask you that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: yeah, I, I guess old habits die hard. Um, yeah, I mean people—people people certainly uh, on uh, our our scientists. I mean, if you go back to, I think it was 1974 with the Arecibo uh, uh, radio telescope that was sending out the uh, the Arecibo message of uh, Frank Drake and, and Carl Sagan um, into the uh, it was targeting a particular star cluster, and I forget which one. Um, but basically, the information that was sent out was on a binary code, and created sort of this uh, binary image with information um, about seven or eight different sets of information that basically, to- you know, said uh, this is we're humans this is sort of what we what we look like this is uh you know the average human this is our dna this is our composition these are the basic elements on earth uh this is what our satellite looks like uh this is where we're located in the star system and uh the intent was to send it out there as a message and to hopefully it would reach there in 25,000 years, and then hopefully if anybody was there and felt like answering, they'd get back to us in another 25,000 years.
2: <laughs> Which,
3: oh. I mean, that's very nice, but that just, uh, none of that makes any sense to me. They sent out also, I mean, before that they, they sent out the, the uh, they're called the gold plates, I think, uh, where also they sent out information on kind of like, uh, you know, the old phonographs, and I think there were instructions in the, I think it was on the Voyager, so it's now uh, out of our galaxy. So that's kind of cool if anybody gets it and and intercepts it and happens to pick it up and figure out that you have to play this thing like a phonograph, and then you'll get all kinds of, uh, you know, sounds and images of Earth and different languages and uh, you know, a nice message from, I forget which president, maybe it was Reagan. Um, so, yeah, we've got these formal attempts to reach out. We also have uh, very, much less documented um, attempts to decode information that's apparently reaching Earth, but uh, the, the NSA... Uh, recently released some some previously classified documents showing how one of their top cryptographers um, was using um, sort of complex mathematical formulas to decode I don't know what because they don't say uh, coming from outer space. And basically he was able to figure out that there are certain words that they're using Um, You know, they put it into sort of tables and categories. And then there there are certain words that they're using for our rare earth elements. So they seem to be interested in our elements and our, uh, you know, our rare earth (laughs) elements. So, you know, and you hear the various stories about uh, different aliens being uh, involved in or interested in uh, mining our planet for whatever reasons. So that kind of makes some kind of sense.
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree.
3: Yeah, so we've had these various, um, you know, their are attempts. But in, in my humble opinion, and it uh, it really is humble, uh, I I just don't think that they're going at it the right way.
2: You're right; they're not, because so, most most advanced civilizations that I've been tracking for some time have their way of communicating with us when we're ready. And and uh, I think there's it's happening in different stages and has been for some time on the planet. I'm finding recently a lot of people that are doing this universal light language. Have you run into that, where people are just sitting and writing different hieroglyphics and calling it universal light language?
3: Uh, yes, I have run into that. Yeah. In, in different forms, but yeah. And in fact, that's how, uh, and I talk about this in uh, my book, How to Talk to an Alien, I, I talk about how uh, John Dee, who was the um, astrologer and, and very renowned mathematician to Queen Elizabeth I of England, um, he encountered, while he was praying in his chapel, he encountered uh, what he thought was an alien floating up to the second story, who handed him this um, quartz crystal. And I think it was some point after that that he began working uh, with a medium, and but also tracing in a light language. He, the way he described it is that it was um, the, the language, the the sort of alphabet, I guess, or the symbols, would appear in a backwards order because they were too powerful, to be presented in a forwards pattern, and they would appear as sort of like a a very pale yellow light, and he would just trace around them. Wow. And that's how he developed what came to be known as, you know, it's one of the most famous of the so-called angelic languages or Enochian languages.
2: Wow. So, (coughs) pardon me, (coughs) so do... um, uh, the aliens communicate with vocalized sounds or t- telepathy, or do they do both?
3: Well, the, the, everybody talks about them communicating telepathically, and I get that. And, of course, that makes sense. And um, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, okay, so why why would that be a preferred m- mode of communication? And I was thinking, well, okay, so maybe they don't, they're, anatomically they're not like us and so they they don't they're not producing um vocalized sounds
2: that's you know, true that's, they don't most of them don't that's true yeah
3: another possibility is that you know oh certainly uh, telepathy moves faster it travels faster travels longer distances so in some sense it just may be a more efficient or a more uh, evolved method of communication.
2: Yeah.
3: Or it could be used for what I sort of uh, and I was referring to as sort of like one mind species or right. uh, or races where they act sort of as a collective. In which case, you need to be uh, almost that fast. You have to be intercommunicating. Right so so it would be very important but anyway but uh and then i was uh reading what um the abduction researcher um david jacobs was saying and he has been pretty you know clear in his writings he says no uh, they only communicate telepathically and in all abduction and contact scenarios and he, so he said even if it's Alien to alien, alien to human, or human to human. During that scenario, it's always telepathic, and then they drop the humans back on Earth. And then, you know, the 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 humans, since they're not they they they're not telepathic, they have to go back to vocalized speech again. And I um, disagree with that for a bunch of reasons. One of which is that as a purely you know i'm just a trained psychic i trained into it um but i know that it can be trained and i know that telepathy is part of the that's part and parcel of those skills so we all have telepathic skills and we all use them in all different types of situations so it's not just a an alien thing that was the first thing second thing is that in in uh a lot of very well documented um, contact scenarios or abduction scenarios, the they would use um, a combination of telepathic and audible speech, and sometimes they go back and forth. I mean, there's a the case of um, uh, the uh, policeman Herbert Schirmer. I think it was in 1967 in Nebraska, and he was uh, he he spotted a uh, there was a, a landed craft, and he. Remembered, I guess maybe later during different uh, hypnotic sessions. But he actually, in this accounted for some of his missing time. He was brought aboard by whoever the the alien guide was, who kept calling him Watchman. You know, are you the Watchman of the town? Yes, and so he said, Yeah, I'm the Watchman. He said, Okay, Watchman, come with me. And he took him on this sort of tour of the spacecraft. And he'd say, you know, watchman, come over here. Watchman, I'm going to show you uh, what we're doing here. Apparently they were collecting uh, electricity, which I thought was interesting because the first time I'd actually seen a case where they were. that was what they were doing. Um, but every once in a while, the, um, the alien guide would start communicating with him telepathically. And Shermer couldn't understand. He just didn't get it. So the alien would then revert back to the audible speech in English, so that he could understand. And I think what a lot of people don't get when they think about telepathic communication is that there, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, how'd you know that? Um, you can have a complete. Uh, like a a, a juxtaposition or or a superposition, uh, uh, one brain to another of the entire information or communication. That's one way. You can have it visually. You can sort of see it. Uh, You can hear it in your language, or you can hear it in alien language. And in Shermer's case, apparently, I think what was happening was that this alien was, communicating in his alien language and it just wasn't it wasn't coming across you know so so he had to keep going back to his simple english and obviously his english wasn't that good because the word as i and i point this out in my book the word watchman is a really archaic word i mean we don't we maybe say a policeman or a security guard or a you know we'd use something else but that's a that word dates back to the 15th century. Yeah. We don't we don't really you know that that was for guarding the castle. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, how many languages do you think they speak?
3: Well, that's a, that's a good question. A um, I, I think uh, in order to answer that, you have to know first how many how many species or races are we dealing with. And I have seen I don't think anybody knows the answer to that i've I've read that you know estimates ranging from four to fifty seven to eighty two to hundred and sixty and even three hundred and something um and there, I'm sure there' are more than that there has to be um, and I'm sure it depends on uh, you know it's like earth we've got just about seven thousand different languages, seven billion people. Um, And we've got dialects and things, you know, off of those languages. So I don't know. Um, But I assume that there are uh, many, many languages. I've been told by certain contactees who, you know, they believe that they are the only ones in the world to be contacted and that they are only being spoken to in a particular language, and that is the only language and I just don't buy that. I, I've heard from too many people and seen too much you know, too many different styles of writing, for example, and uh heard too many different styles of of uh speech. I think they're they're lots.
2: Yeah. So <clears throat> so do you think they speak with an accent?
3: Well that was a really cool thing that I discovered. I, I certainly didn't go into this thinking that they did. Um and I learned from uh, a, a lot of these uh, case histories that yeah, they do. It, it's really—I mean—and it's funny um, because they've been said to speak with uh, you know, sort of a, a Chinese accent. Now, and I've heard those. I've heard recordings uh, where they are speaking, and it's very hard to tell if they're male or female. Where they sound sort of like—if you could imagine—like a middle-aged. Asian lady with kind of a husky voice, but speaking really really fast and it's really hard to catch the words um and uh you sort of catch it every once in a while others i mean it's been reported they they speak with um sort of arabic sounding uh accents different uh there's one contactee who he heard Spanish being spoken on board with um I think it was like three different accents: South American, Portuguese, and Italian accents. Um, one uh, uh, reported case, they they spoke with uh, the the accent allegedly of the, their planet, which was something like Garzavore. Another, uh, and and what I point out, and I think this is really important for people to start to think about, is that if you Hear an accent or if you if you hear no accent either way, that's a lot of information um for us about those aliens, and it tells us things like uh how much time they have uh been here on earth, whether or not they've been interacting a lot or a little with the human race where they may have learned the the language um, how long they've been learning it i mean it just gives us tons of information and i i give an example also of um in the there was a very famous uh case that was going on for close to 40 years in italy called the W56 friendship case and there was um Apparently, well, there was an entire town that was in communication with this collective of uh, all different races of aliens who apparently lived in a 200-mile-long base beneath the Adriatic Sea on the eastern coast of Italy. And eventually, over the 40 years or so that they were communicating with the humans, they were also communicating with some of the top politicians, scientists, scientists, Engineers, not only in Italy, but all over Europe. So they were speaking not only Italian, but French and German and English and Spanish. Um, but there was one of them who, uh, I guess he hadn't spent really much time with humans, and he had learned all of his Italian from listening to old clips, radio clips, of listening to Mussolini speak. <laughs> so he had this, you know what I imagine there was a kind of a strange little accent a little bit like this, you know, I used to you know, with those you know, funny like uh, speech type inflections that uh, Mussolini was doing. But but so that's a clue. That's a big clue.
2: Yeah. And they're... same
3: thing same thing goes with if they're speaking with no accent. Well what does that tell you? That tells you they've probably uh, been interacting and living uh, for quite a while in whatever that locality is so that they can speak very well in that in that um the the Italian case apparently a lot of them the ones who spoke better and were interacting more with humans they had uh, a much better ability to understand jokes and they could make puns and, you know, understand metaphors and that kind of thing. And that's tough to do when you're speaking another language.
2: Yeah. I noticed in the book, um, you know, we really, um, as starseeds, um, have been, you know, looking at the Pleiadian lineup every year, you know, especially November 17th, 18th, and 19th, when a lot of Pleiadian ships come to the planet. And And on page 64 of your book, you have something called the case of the British housewife. And you say, the documented case of Cynthia Appleton, a British housewife and mother from Aston, Birmingham, England, involved four alien encounters throughout a nearly two-year period starting on November eighteenth, oh, 1977. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened with her?
3: Yeah, um, I don't remember 100% uh, what happened with her. I know that there was one particular um I believe it was sort of a Nordic or a Scandinavian type. Yeah, he was Nordic. He was
2: a Nordic uh, Pleiadian looking fella. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And he kept showing up, and um, she was trying to, at various points, um, remember, because he was communicating with her, and he actually communicated some very important information. Um, But he also, by the way, was, she kept, she said to her husband, I think he said, uh, A word like, she said like, titium or titium or something like that. Oh, titanium. You know, and I don't think titanium was very well known at that time. Um, He also gave her uh, a very important message. Um, I believe it it was to her. The deity itself dwells at the heart and core of the atom. Yeah. And, and, you know, the
2: last time that she had an encounter with him was on August 18th of 1958, which is one of those star dates that we've been tracking. So I thought that oh,
3: was a very interesting chapter. Interesting. It had, it
2: had a lot of uh, information that coincided with some of the things that we, we have known about the Pleiadians and their timing. Yeah. Well,
3: I, I'm, I'm sure you know uh, way more about the Pleiadians than I do. But uh, that is interesting in terms of the timing. He apparently, he also, he showed up on a couple occasions, um, he needed some type of material from her to be healed, which kind of confused me, and I don't know what that was about.
2: Yeah, I don't either.
3: Yeah, and so she would sort of be there in the system, and I don't know if it was, you know, wrapping certain things on, if he had a, a it was something on his hand. And then he would either... I think it would either um, dematerialize, or I think on the last occasion there was a, a fellow sort of looked probably kind of like a you know, m- Men in Black type person sitting in a black limo waiting for him, who took him away.
2: Well, that's kind of interesting, huh? For the, for <laughs> a, the Men in Black to be associated with the Pleiadian, that's kind of off off the mark. Wow. Well,
3: listen, maybe I've mischaracterized the whole thing, but it was, you know, one of those guys with sort of, and he had uh, sort of swarthy looking skin, if I remember, and, you know, the black hat and the black outfit, the kind of anachronistic looking suit. So I don't know. I don't know.
2: Yeah, we've recently had Nick Redford on our show. He wrote his new book called Men in Black. It's if yeah. he goes into much detail about all their shenanigans that they've pulled on the planet, you might want to pick up that book. It's a pretty good read. I,
3: I think I might. I certainly uh, I, I saw it when it came out. I may actually have it. I don't know if I've read
2: it. Then he just came out with this brand new book called Bloodline of the Gods. That's very interesting, the way he's tracking that. Uh-huh. Finding the different DNAs on the planet with extraterrestrial DNA, with human DNA. Yeah. And he talks about um, uh, negative bloodlines, you know, right. negative, positive, yeah. Okay, back to um, this question. Do you think it's possible for um, this two-way communication to, to continue happening on the planet? I know a lot of people have been doing channeling for years, and throughout history I guess we've had a lot of different beings being channeled with information from higher beings. And um, do you see in the future that we're going to be having disclosure where things like that we're talking about now is going to be like old hat <laughs> eventually? I hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, you,
3: you know, I think a lot of people, and and I know many people who do channeling and that kind of work and who have published books and um you know they're 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 out there doing their thing, getting there, creating that dialogue um I always try uh and it's just me uh, when I'm trying to approach some issue that I think is particularly um difficult, and especially if you've got subjective elements thrown into it that people tend to distrust uh I just try and keep the issues really narrow, so for example, in uh my book Psychic Intuition. Everything you ever wanted to ask, but we're afraid to know. The, I I say straight out, you know, all I'm doing here is I'm explaining psychic ability in terms of neuroscience, psychology, and linguistics. I am by no means trying to explain uh, psychic phenomena, psychic phenomena, and how that interacts with us, and where it comes from, and what it is. That's huge. And I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to take this nice tiny little area. Yeah. And I I tried to do the same thing with with uh, this book, um, uh, and so instead I think everybody gets very excited and you know they automatically want to jump to the really good juicy stuff, which is the message. Everybody wants to know the messages, of course. Um, and I, for me. Uh, I sort of feel like that's jumping the gun a little bit. It's like let's let's hold on here let's let's you know take it nice and slow let's let's look at language or let's look at all the different ways that they're communicating and let's see what we can understand or what we think we understand.
2: well, and an example of that's the crop circles right
3: exactly yeah it's 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 uh crop circles it's it's um dreams. It's, uh, manipulation of electronic machinery, um, you know, uh, even, even, uh, responses from spacecraft, even just light, you know, using lights. I mean, there are a million different, or or even different types of body language. There are a million different ways, and that's, I'm just going with the, you know, those are the more physical aspects of things, um there're a million different ways that that they i believe they are communicating and i think i think we need to to walk slowly and, and try to understand language and co- communication first before we try to figure out well what's the message and obviously yeah. a lot of people are you know skipping along and <laughs> saying no i want to go straight for that message and they're doing it i um and that's great you know, and eventually, I hope that uh, we're all doing that, and I I think that we will be. I I think that's down the road, and I think it's already happening in the fact that, uh, I mean, the next you know, the, the the generations coming up are so incredibly uh, non focused on language. They really don't care about it too much, and I mean, I have I have a couple of kids. And I I have a son in high school, and a daughter just got a, out of college not too long ago, and they really they're not that interested in reading. They really don't care about language; it's not really their thing. They're way more visual and more holistic in their thinking. So yeah. I, I, eventually, we're getting there.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, are there actual artifacts with written? Alien language on them. Do you have some examples of that?
3: Yeah, the the one that everybody thinks of is the Roswell i beam that had the uh, uh, that it was brought back by Jesse Marcel when he showed his son um, when he was the, his son was eleven years old, and it was a piece of the crash site debris. It had the what we recalled by um, Jesse Marcel Jr as being sort of uh, hieroglyphics on it. Um, and obviously the that got taken off by the, or taken back by the military, and uh, I don't think that anyone's going to be seeing that anytime soon. So to get your hands on actual artifacts with um, uh, alien, or clearly alien uh, uh, writing or symbols on them is kind of tough to come by. I do um, show a picture of one of them in my book, uh, which was a it was a letter that was uh dropped out of a spacecraft as it was taking off and uh it was retrieved by the man who his uh, his name was um John Reeves, who was living in Florida at the time. He'd had various contact with the the alien on board, I guess, but the the letter came floating down. It was not on paper. It was some type of material that apparently was not from Earth, and it was covered with what um, is called a dot-and-line style of writing. It sort of looks like a little bit like chicken scratch with little dots and things, Uh, but it does look like it's got sentences. It looks like, you know, Paragraphs, even on it um, he John reeves uh showed this you know publicly to the media. he then gave it to the military, the military never gave it back eventually, they gave him a copy, I think um, so again, you know we're kind of at a loss, so what I try to explain is that there are really three major categories of how we can. Acquire alien writing so that we can compare it like a Rosetta Stone, which is how we discovered the meaning of Egyptian hieroglyphics. Um, and you can you can get the, if you're lucky enough, get the actual artifacts, which, as I said, uh, is not too common. You can, uh, next best category would be recollections of witnesses, of um, contactees or abductees. A lot of times they'll see the symbols or glyphs or whatever they are uh, on the interior or the exterior of the craft or on objects, and they'll remember them, especially under hypnosis. They're they're pretty good with that. And the last category, which I'm suggesting that people ought to take seriously, you know, bring it back into the fold, is anything that we normally kind of say, well you know, that's not reliable, would be things like um, psychic channeling, automatic writing, uh, dreams, things like that. And and what I show is that once you start to cross-compare those, all of a sudden you start to see, wow, you know, in that channeled thing versus that memory thing versus that actual artifact thing, oh my goodness, they've got the same symbols. And once you start to do that, then you start to have a, a this base to start um, understanding, hopefully, uh, some of the, the alien writing.
2: I know that when in this book you said, did Moses engage in alien writing? And then you went ahead to talk about the Book of Mormon. So would you uh, expand on that a little bit?
3: <laughs> yeah, I um and I was surprised to find this actually that um, I mean Moses when he came down with the, his Ten Commandments the tablets and uh, apparently he came back and he saw everybody was busy uh, worshipping a false idol and he got incredibly pissed off and so he smashed the tablets which kind of amazed me you know <laughs> if you if you're you know revering something that you're saying has been delivered. By God, oh my goodness, then why are you smashing it? But I guess he had a temper. Anyway, he then, uh, according to the Bible, uh, he says, don't worry about it, I'm going to go basically replace them, uh, which he says he does by basically following, it was given to him by the finger of God. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? That sounds an awful lot like John Dee's Tracing the Angelic writing." And it made me wonder if Moses maybe wasn't engaging in that type of um, uh, automatic, well, I guess it's a form of automatic writing or light, it's a form of light language, uh, but it's, it's tracing something that's being given to you in a sort of a telepathic way, but which you can experience perceptually, you know, through your eyes or through your senses. Um, so I thought, well, that's kind of, uh, to me, that would sort of make sense. And then with the, the Mormon religion, you have um, Joseph Smith, who was this young teenage kid in upstate New York, and he the, the angel Moroni apparently appears to him and says, you know, go dig up these, these gold plates. And he, he digs them up, and he, they have some kind of strange writing on them and then he's instructed by the angel to copy them. Uh so he copies them and then it, he translates them into English. Well, there's a I show a little fragment of the his original copying of the the alien language or the angelic language and in in the Mormon the Book of Mormon which he wrote it ref- or he translated, I should say. It refers to that writing as reformed Egyptian, and that made me think a lot because that's even more information for us, such as, well, you know, if we all know that language evolves over time, so that you know, here in America. Uh, We don't say the same things that they say over in England, you know. Like, for example, in England they say, "Well, you know, um, I, I, I've, I've got some, I've got some." uh, uh, I don't know. I've got some milk in the refrigerator, and here we might say, "I've gotten some milk," and put it in the refrigerator, something like that. But anyway, we use "gotten," which is the medieval form. Which is what the English used to say, but they've evolved out of it. So, in a sense, you know, they have a reformed English. Well, if you imagine that aliens have been here, let's say, many thousands of years ago, and took off, or, or in turn dimensionally disappeared, or did whatever they did, and uh, maybe returned, well, either they. Or we would be speaking some form of that whatever that original language was. It would be reformed. So, to me, that that gives you know from a language point of view some interesting ammunition for these um, you know ancient alien theories. Yeah, it's just it's just a different way of looking at it.
2: I know that many people have received you know, downloads of alien conversations and they channel alien um, messages. Uh, how do you know when someone is legitimate with this? Are there legitimate examples of, of alien speech?
3: Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't claim to really know what's legitimate versus not, but I do think that if we can begin to uh, cross-compare with what other people are doing all over the world, that when we find similarities, that begins to suggest that it's legitimate. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I just found out recently that um, there was a fellow who's who's since passed away, but uh, uh, two witnesses said that his daughter, who was nine years old at the time, had actually... Uh, written or channeled in some alien language. It was that dot and line style that I was talking about earlier uh, that was identical to the letter that was dropped out of the spacecraft in Florida.
2: Wow. So
3: to, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. So, so to me, that really suggests that that's really authentic. I mean, I don't claim, since I don't know how many languages are out there, I don't claim... To know what's legitimate or not, I just think that we have to keep a really, really open mind and and see what we can learn from uh, learning the different languages that are being channeled and spoken and written.
2: So, how long did it take you to to write this book?
3: <laughs> uh, I I normally that's funny you ask that I. I For every this is my fifth book. For virtually every other book, it takes me, or it took me roughly ten years. This book took me two months. Oh wow! Yeah.
2: On the fast track. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, on
3: the fast track.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, at this time, I'm looking at the clock. I'm at this time. I'd like to um, have Ariel join us. She has the switchboard. And we have listeners that from all over the world that may want to uh, just ask you questions, or if you're open to uh, talking to them. Okay? Oh, absolutely, sure. Okay, oh. it's been it's been my pleasure talking with you, and I love your book. And I'm encouraging all of our Starseed listeners to get this book, How to Talk to an Alien. You will absolutely enjoy it so much. So thank, thank you, you, Nancy, and back to you, Ariel.
0: Okay. Well, um, at this time, if you have a question for Nancy and you're already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1 so we know you want to come on the air. And if you're not already on the switchboard and you're listening on the computer, then you need to dial 917-889-8292 and then press 1 after you're in so that we know you want to come on the air. So while we are waiting for um, people to do that, um, I wanted to ask you, Nancy, if if you have had any um, what we call high strangeness in your life that is, you know, ET-connected, things that you maybe couldn't explain or dreams, experiences. Have you experienced any kind of ET contact?
3: Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I've gotten the uh, the... Well, I had a sighting of what I learned later was a a mothership, uh, only just, it was in 2011. Uh, To me, that was so extraordinary, and I witnessed that with my daughter. Uh, It made me realize after that that I actually had seen crafts before, certainly not like that, Uh, and uh, and I've seen many since then, not quite like that, but I have... uh, I've had them uh respond by flashing uh huge explosions of, of light in the sky um I had a dream which yeah, I'm I'm a lucid dreamer and I had this it felt like a lucid dream which sort of made me think about helping Uh, anybody who was really traumatized by uh, abduction scenarios in particular. um, I dreamt that uh, I was in my little hybrid car about five blocks from my house. I was waiting for a friend and a neighbor of mine to get in the car, and she didn't. And instead, uh, it was sort of a reptilian-ish looking uh, alien hops into my car, and I'm shocked, and uh, he looks at me. I look at him, and he has a very, very strong, powerful uh, gaze with his eyes. And I, in a split second in my dream, I'm thinking, well, this is not good. Uh, I don't want to get abducted, and whatever this is, it's, it's, it's so maybe I should jump out of, you know, open the car door and just run but I realized in the same split second uh, there wasn't time, because he had managed to uh, lock onto my brainwaves, and I could feel it. It was very powerful. It was like a clamp down, like uh, like you could almost feel the the pressure uh, of the the, the lock in of the brainwaves. And I thought to my my next thought was, well, that's it. You know, I'm I'm kind of done for here. And then I thought, well, wait a second. I'm I'm a trained psychic. I've spent a long time learning all kinds of psychic skills, and this is a psychic issue. And why can't I solve this? So I gathered what felt to me kind of like a ball of plasma. It was just a, a very high energy uh, mass. Uh, I don't I don't know how else to explain it. And I I shot it back at him. Through our mutually locked brainwaves, and that broke the connection, and my dream ended. Now I don't know whether that was, uh, you know, any type of a true contact or not, but I'm not discounting it. It certainly felt different from a lot of other dreams. Um, I've had many other dreams where, well, for example, being taken aboard a craft, meeting all different species. Uh, having actually very nice, I don't know if you call them conversations, dialogues, communications, whatever they were. Um, I've received electronic phone calls from what I believe are aliens. They've been heard by my daughter and her friends and my friends, you know, in separate phone calls. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of different ways.
0: um, When when you... um you talk about electronic, you mean the phone rings and
3: there's a, what does it sound like? Um, normally I'm in the middle of a conversation with my daughter just having a regular phone call and it, whatever it is, it will uh, break into the conversation. We both hear it, but we can't hear each other speak. And it sounds usually like a male voice like a very deep uh sound distorted heavily distorted uh voice a little bit on the creepy side uh once it it said my daughter's name um sometimes it makes just these absolutely extraordinary uh noises that um i have a real i'm i'm usually really good with words and i have a very very hard time even beginning to describe these sounds um and as uh, it, it, it broke into a conversation that I was having once uh, with uh, this, she's a psychologist, and I was giving her a reading, and I had finished doing my reading, and I didn't know anything about her except for one story. And in this one story that she had told me, she had been driving, and suddenly, strangely, this face appeared on her windshield, and she was sort of blown away by it, and she pulls over and stops the car and doesn't, well, many years later she goes and sees some uh, uh, the, the shamans in South America and goes there and sees that one of them looks just like that face and, and says, you know, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. And I was about to ask her, did you ever consider that maybe, possibly, it, it was an alien? And she and I, obviously, I mean, we'd never talked about aliens, and that's not something I normally did at that point. And as the words were about to come out of my mouth, the most incredible, uh, it, it was the same thing. The, the We couldn't hear each other. This sort of voice came in, in the middle of it, and then there sounds like things clanking, like uh, I described it like if you can imagine the groaning, clanking noises of, of like a giant uh, canal lock opening or closing, where you, where you sort of hear the echoing and the, the the metallic noise, and then there'd be these sort of celestial sounding chimes and bells and things I can't possibly oh. explain.
1: Wow, it's amazing!
3: And um, it might, and and then usually after these phone calls, we can't uh, if we try to call each other back, the phone will just ring. You can't get through to the other person for about five or ten minutes. And so my um, my client, she she wrote back to me and she said, because she emailed me because we couldn't get through to each other, and she said, she said, what the hell was that? Whatever the hell that was, that was definitely not of this earth. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just me having a strange reaction. It, it was really bizarre.
0: God.
3: Well, that... That almost sounds like
0: something out of um, Nick Redfern's book, *The Men in Black*, case histories, and you know, phone stuff like that. Um, very, very common uh, in from his research. So, if you already have that book, you might want to <laughs> pick it up and oh, I'll, and I'll read take it. a look. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty strange. So, um, you have. You have memories of being aboard ship and being with um, multiple uh, races. I mean, humanoid species
3: that that are similar, but they're they're different races. No, I'm going to be really clear. I have had dreams. I have uh, zero memories. I have no missing time. I have none of the traditional, you know, earmarks of any type of contact. You know, as far as I know. Um, I I have weird things happen with time, um, but but I don't have missing time. Um, okay. Okay.
0: Well, you know, um, lavender on on previous shows has talked about what she calls screen dreams. Uh-huh. Um, it's not. It, it doesn't originate with you. It's more like a like a hologram, a holographic movie. That it's it it is perceived as a dream because it happens while you're sleeping, but yeah, I mean I've had I've had dreams also being aboard ship in a classroom and we were studying something and there was all different kinds of people and beings and uh, but I remember looking out the window thinking oh we're really high up here aren't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean that's a very that's a very typical. I mean I hear that from Starseed's all the time, dreaming of going to school in well, it's, in yeah. outer
3: space. I have had I had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine who she's a contactee, who um, she goes through. Uh, and I didn't know this at the time. It was just intensive instruction I, on a very high level, and I I forget what it was, and I. I we were talking about the fact neither one of us was sleeping, and it was just dragging on and on and on. And uh, I said, "Yeah, I'm. It's like I am. All I'm doing is working. Every night I'm just working and working and working. I'm completely exhausted when I wake up." Uh-huh. And she said, "Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like you're, uh, you're in training. You're in school." I said, "Yeah." uh yeah. and and learning different types of for me i was learning different types of uh uh skills right right well
0: they i mean i've heard this also from uh, a lot of people that um all night long they're busy they're working they're doing things and they wake up tired because yeah. it it seems like they're not sleeping and i just yeah. i hear that hear that all the time and we've had um a few guests and also um some information from from Lavender's Vault that you have to tell them i need a break i need some time off you know um so if you come across clients that are that are you know not able to sleep at night because they're just so busy and working you know you can just tell them i need a break and they yeah. have to i mean they have to comply because you know, unless you're dealing with um, the the not so nice uh, of which there are not too many, um, yeah, you've you've got you've got complete um, say so. if they're working um, you too hard, <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, time out here. I need a break. I need some. I need some real sleep. Just leave me alone for a while. You know, come back next week or, or whatever. You know. But you can do that.
3: So yeah,
0: as and, as a telepath ahead. um, I mean, you've got you've gone through all kinds of training and developed your psychic ability. I mean, to the point where you've worked with law enforcement and you know, remote viewing and all the all the things that you've done in this in this field. So when you um do you ever try to initiate the contact and the conversation telepathically? with uh, an off-world being. Oh, sure. Sure, so how do you go about How do you, uh, do you, I, do you
3: have- I think I'm, you know, I I come from this um this background where I mean, nobody in my family is psychic and uh I know that well, both of my uncles had UFO sightings, but that was never really discussed. Um so, <laughs> excuse me. When I'm thinking of ways to communicate or how to do it, I think I'm just, I'm probably pretty concrete about it. I'm not as, uh, I'm probably not as creative as I could be. But then again, I think there's also a part of me that is, I take everything really slowly. You know, I I walk into uh, strange places slowly and get used to the environment before I really, kind of warm up to whatever it is I'm there to do. And I think it's the same way with um, the psychic work and the paranormal work and now this work. Uh, So I may be initiating conversations, but I don't know that I'm really going way out of my way to, um, to do what I potentially could be doing. Let me put it that way well I, I, I mean, sort of I, I want to get a feel for the the lay of the land or in this case the 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 lay of the space right right well, have you been in a
0: situation where you really needed some inside information, some guidance from beyond and above um where you would deliberately like okay, tune in, and I need an answer to this question. Have you had situations like that?
3: Yeah, and I think that my my spiritual go-to is is God. And um you know, any um spiritual, whether you want to call them angels or uh spiritual entities and beings that are associated with with my higher good and I tend to go that direction before I when I'm seeking answers because I feel comfortable that I know uh, more about who who I'm dealing with, I guess, than seeking answers from you know and and let me give you an example. Um when I was in college I had two good friends. Their mother was known as pretty much the top channeler of aliens in the world. Um, she's since passed away, um, and so I used to hear all of these. Just to me, they were totally bizarre stories that I, I didn't know what to do with them. But one of them, which I just confirmed very recently with with my friends, I said, "Is that true? What what the story that that I heard way back in college?" And they said, yeah. Anyway, their their mother was regularly channeling particular alien entities. And that was fine. That worked out great. Um, and they could channel through several different languages. But uh, there was a point, and I'm not sure what happened, Whether somehow some other entity got into her as she was channeling. And within um, about, I think it was about 17 seconds, she had put on forty pounds. She what? popped, yeah. She popped all the buttons on her shirt and her skirt, and it took her several years to get off most of the weight. She never got off all the weight. Um, and when I, the first time I heard that in college, I said, "Well, that's ridiculous. You know, that doesn't happen." But and her kids are these very analytic, straight laced, you know, and none of this, you know, funny stuff type people.
1: And yeah. they
3: just confirmed for me again, yep, yep, that's what happened. And they witnessed it. Like, wow. So so I'm very, very careful, you know, in the sort of a, a Ouija board sort of sense. I don't just go out there and start calling on anybody who is out there who might be listening or who I think might be a good guy. I, I, I really walk yeah. very, very slowly.
0: Yeah, well, I, I totally get that, and I think that's really the, the the best way to go because, you know, people, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I'm channeling this, you know, a Pleiadian or Arcturian or whatever um, species they name, and, and my silent question is, how can you be sure?
1: Yeah, Where, you know, exactly. you have to
0: have the discernment to know, because there are there is so much advanced technology that you know any any fifth dimensional being could could show up as as Santa Claus you know <laughs> <laughs> or anything that they wanted to appear as and and some people would just well automatically you know respectful and reverent. When you know this being could be a wolf in sheep's clothing, um, you know I completely understand and agree with what you're saying. Is you just, it's never a good idea to just say, okay, you know anybody that wants to talk to me because you know you don't know you don't want to open the door. Like you said, it's almost like a Ouija board. You don't want to open the door on on uh, indiscriminately, you know. Um, yeah, but I thought because, I thought perhaps because some people have. A regular, you know, uh, like like you were talking about, a, a, an energy that is has been coming around and has been, you know, kind of vetted out. Uh,
3: but outside of those situations, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't just. Yeah, say, no, I'm 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 yeah. I don't have a regular energy like that that I could say, oh yeah, that's uh, you know that's so and so. Um, I I know many people who do. I I just don't. Yeah.
0: Well, again, you have to know what you're dealing with. I mean, some people channel and they don't even know if the beings are fourth dimensional or fifth dimensional or anything. They just they just go with it. And we really need to have some discernment because there are plenty of beings out there more advanced and evolved than us, maybe fourth dimensional, maybe fifth dimensional, um and there's no way of of knowing what their ultimate agenda is and if it's
3: in alignment with yours. Absolutely. And it's so, a little um, bit like, you know, in the in the paranormal world where people and and again, it's a question of discernment, that's that's the right word, where for example, if you have a like a ghost say of a little girl who shows up in a room and she says she, you know, you, you get information from this spirit that, you know, oh, she's so-and-so's little daughter and she's so sweet and it's so tragic and you just want to, you know, love her and take care of her and bring her home with you. And then all you, all of a sudden you discover that was a, it was an illusion. Right. By a spirit that was really not nice at all, a very negative uh, spirit that was a, it was a, you know, sheep and wolf's clothing type thing.
0: exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, discernment, and and as you said, you know, take it slow, um, and you really shouldn't jump in over your head um, because it could take years to get over it if you do. Yeah. Um, Well, it it doesn't look like we have anybody with questions, so you must have covered the material really well. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you have do you still have a radio show
3: or is this something that in your resume no that was uh, I had a CBS radio show called Hot Leads Cold Cases and uh, that was on for about four years and uh, eventually got cancelled by CBS on about a day's notice huh. and uh, but I it was wonderful I mean that was sort of uh, uh, my first introduction into speaking with people in the ufo field and i got to speak with uh, a lot of the the top people in the field as you know i'm sure you do um as well as you know i i got to speak with uh, uh, astrobiologists astrophysicists neuroscientists law enforcement um and a whole i mean and of course you know psychic detectives and spiritual mediums and intuitives and alternative healthcare people sort I sort of did the full spectrum of you know, wherever I saw something that fascinated me in terms of um how we deal with intuition, uh that's that's sort of where I went and I was I was always trying to get both sides of the coin because uh-huh. my goal in, in the work that I'm doing is um I'm really trying to build a, a dialogue between believers and and skeptics Well I'm, I'm trying to build a bridge there has been, um
0: several several groups as you said we we've come in contact with a lot of people through the through the radio show and guests and friends of the guests and there was um about 5 years ago uh, a campaign in Denver to establish um an exopolitical committee because and it's exactly what you're saying um we have to know how to communicate and we have to have diplomatic relations in a formal way so that was a campaign that went on and and uh, it almost got passed but it's there will be eventually some you know, cabinet or some committee that that takes you know establishing this dialogue of and I love that term that you have exolinguistics you know um you have to communicate before you can negotiate or you know any kind of commerce or anything like that we have to know how to communicate so you're saying that um de- developing your intuition and telepathic skills which is something that everyone has and can develop is the best way to communicate with the extraterrestrials—is that that's what you're saying, right?
3: Well, and and I didn't realize that at the time. I, I came at this whole thing kind of backwards because I came at it from the point of view of understanding the psychic skills, and then the I became a paranormal investigator, understanding paranormal stuff, and then and I I didn't think that any of the fields or you know, of Psychic Paranormal Ufology, I didn't think they were connected. And so it's been this really strange kind of bootstrap where I've realized, oh, yeah, Um, everything that I learned already was absolutely related to this and is key in terms of understanding this. I think there are a lot of people who get into the UFO field. You know, it's um, maybe up until recently, but still kind of male-dominated, um, and by a mindset which is much more, you know, science, technology, engineering, uh, that kind of thing. In the yeah. same way that in the paranormal field, it's it's dominated a lot by uh, law enforcement, and it's I would say it's more m- m- uh, mixed gender, male and female. And then the psychic field tends to be dominated by women, you know, and, and more healing arts and that kind of thing. So so to get into the, take all of that knowledge and to put it into the ufology field, where I think a lot of men are kind of unfamiliar with that, I think that's really what it's been needing um, in order yeah. to, for, for them to, in other words, you kind of have to come full circle with all these different skills and you have to use them together right you know, i don't think it's just you know one group or another that's going to be um, you know leading the pack it it really takes everybody and well, by the I, way I, one of one of the things that i really hope that uh your listeners will be willing to do in in the research that i'm doing on exolinguistics uh and trying to put together this rosetta stone i'm really um hoping to reach as many people as possible to see if they would be willing to share with me recordings of alien speech or samples of alien writing so that I can put together this kind of database to cross compare them and and that's how we're going to learn more about this mhm and and as it i mean i'm getting uh you know different types of uh alien speech and, and writing samples from, from people all over the world right now and it's amazing to me. It's just amazing. You know, we had a guest
0: um quite some time ago who spoke twelve what she called light languages or universal languages. Right. Um from some of the, the more recognizable um species and and she just she just went through um you know, a, a few sentences, and when when she spoke in the Pleiadian language, it had a cadence and an energy to it. And when she spoke in the Arcturian language, it was much more uh, a, a much different energy. I mean, I could really um, feel the 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 truth in what she was. I didn't understand the words, but I understood the the feeling, and and it really resonated. And I'll have to send you her her information so you could talk to her because she it was she was really 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 good at it. That would be great. as, as I mean speaking um, various light language dialects or you know
3: whatever, but there she said she had twelve.
0: And, so and have... um,
3: at a presentation that I just did um, at MUFON International in, in September. I played a bunch of different clips of people speaking in a bunch of different alien languages. And they're all different. They're all, I mean, they're remarkable. I had, um, there was one man who came up to me after I was done. He was in tears and he said, Thank you so much. Uh, he said, During the presentation, when you played some of those clips, I, he said, I've never told anybody this in my life, but I recognized them. And I know them," he said. "I had to leave because I started sobbing, <laughs> you know, so so loudly that I I had to get up and, and leave. Um, so I know, oh. uh, yeah. And a lot of these languages I know are really powerful. The way that and people will recognize them. I had somebody else. Um, I had played one for her. Uh, I think she, she this was uh, somebody was interviewing me, and all of a sudden she starts making these sounds, and I said. Uh, what exactly are you doing there? Oh, you know, I'm just—it's uh, a little language thing, and uh, I think I played for her some of these these clips, or I described these clips to her, and she was making those sounds. It was whatever that language is, and it was kind of well, a clicking, guttural, very unusual type of a language.
0: Yeah, I've heard I've heard that before too, and like you said. When when you start having separate sources with similar words or language or or symbols, then then it starts to take on um, a little more um, what is credibility, you know? Because you this person's got it, and this person over here is saying the same thing, and these two people don't know each other. That kind of you know compilation of of, of information from various sources.
3: Yeah, because we live in, and listen. I I know as well as anybody else does that there are ways of you know like when you listen to a piece of music, you don't need it to be explained. I know that of course. And in the same sense, uh I believe many of these languages can uh, uh reach our comprehension without the need for the the string of, of kind of consecutive words or language or that kind of thing. I know that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But we all live in a consensus reality, which means that we're all different, but we all kind of have to agree that, okay, I see I see something red over there. Do you see something red? Yeah, I see it. It's red. Now, it might not be the same exact shade of red that we're both seeing, but we both agree. And that way we know we've shared a we agree on on that piece of reality, and it's sort yeah. of the same thing in this field we, we i mean you just have to, yeah,
0: <clears throat> well, this has just been fascinating, and we're so glad that you could share this time with us this evening and I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing your book, How to Talk to an Alien. And your other book is also um, called Psychic Intuition, Everything You Ever Wanted to Ask But Were Afraid to Know. I love that play on words there. (laughs) Thank you. So um, your website is theskepticalpsychic.com as well as talkalien.com. And I imagine your books are available on both
3: sites as well as Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, you know, bookstores, but yeah, they're they're easy enough to find. And if anybody needs to contact me, they can get a hold of me through either one of those websites.
0: Okay, and do you still do private sessions? I do.
3: I do them all the time.
0: Okay, so if someone were interested in talking to you um personally for a reading, they would just go to com and they can set it up from there. Sure. Right? They could do okay. that. Yeah,
3: that's probably easier. They can go to talkalien.com also. They could set it up that way too.
0: Okay. Well, excellent. Excellent. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for being here with us this evening. And um, best of luck with your book. And we really recommend um, our listening audience to go pick up a copy. Thank you, Ariel. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you are so welcome. So on behalf of all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, wish you a wonderful week as we're getting ready for Christmas. Remember the true season and the reason. So until next week, everyone, take care. Bye-bye.